Hello everybody, welcome to the Going Mental Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Ila Manga. Dr. Manga is a integrative medicine practitioner. She's a medical doctor specializing in integrative medicine, which means that she integrates a whole bunch of different philosophies from uh, modern Western sciences to historical Eastern sciences and the development of the Eastern traditional uh, medicine into more modern sciences. So... Dr. Manga has an extremely vast amount of knowledge when it comes to healing, health, uh, taking care of yourself, and she's a specialist in breathwork. She's also an author and wrote a book called Breathe, which is an amazing book. I've just finished reading it, and I think Dr. Manga gives us exceptional wisdom and knowledge in this podcast. I had a great time chatting to her. I learned a ton from her, and without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just listen. Often, you know, because we are breathing in a way that allows access to the subconscious, whatever is available and ready to come up to the surface might arise. So this was very nice to walk in here. Cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have no formal start. Okay. Uh, so oh, excellent. I we may can just go. even leave some of this in. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really good point is yeah. that, you know, uh, healing is about creating the environment in which healing can happen. Yeah. You're supporting the body's ability to heal itself. Yeah. And so we don't drop into that healing mode if we don't feel safe, if we don't feel comfortable, yeah. if we don't feel connected. Yes. You know, so for me, it's always been important to create the environment and the space in which people feel safe. Yeah. And maybe if you go into a traditional uh, general practitioner's office, you see all these posters on the wall about illness and things that may be actually bad for the patients. Yeah. Come to think of it now. Yeah. Where this kind of made you feel like I can just breathe, yeah. I can chill. Yeah. yeah. I think it's always important for me, uh, you know, to make the patient feel that they are well, that they are whole, rather than reinforcing the idea that they're sick. Yes. It's about nurturing the aspect of them that is whole, that is healthy, supporting that. Yes, you know? yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Well, we are live now. Um, so thank you very much for doing this uh, and giving the time to do this. Um, just on what we've been speaking of now, when did you start looking at the holistic integrative way of healing coming from a background in, let's call it the traditional medicine that we all know? I think it began even before I studied medicine, actually. And oh, okay. I suppose it was the way I grew up, um, you know, my relationship with my grandfather. I, I think I was always um, aware of nature, of our okay. connection with nature, you know, and um, just stories of my grandfather going growing up and the values he instilled in me of... I suppose that kind of way of seeing the world has always been with me. And so, you know, when I studied medicine, that was another part of the journey yes. to become a doctor and to really understand the intricacies of the way we are designed and how disease shows up and how to treat it. Yes. And so that was important part of my journey. But when I started practicing medicine as a GP, 
my desire to practice more holistically became even more apparent. And I realized that the conventional medicine training didn't often, often didn't support me to, uh, you know, um, support the whole person. Yeah. And that the training was limited in some way. For example, you know, there's very little focus on nutrition. There's very little focus on um, the, the link between our psychological well-being and our physical well-being. And yet that was so obvious to me. Yes. And so I wanted to understand that connection. I wanted to know how to make patients more aware of that connection, you know, so yeah. that they felt more empowered uh, to understand and heal themselves. Why is that link missing? We, we There is a lot of science that backs up that obviously nutrition is good for our health and well-being. And things like meditation and breath work come from centuries ago. Um, why has that not been added to the, you know, the medical field of mm-hmm studying well i think that's what medicine was originally you know if we go back to the ancient traditional healing systems uh, of ayurveda of traditional chinese medicine we saw that there was a deep understanding that health is dependent on our relationship with nature that we are part of nature's cycles and rhythms you know but uh, with the whole um, cartesian model where we you know broke down health into systems we became narrow focused and we looked at specific systems as separately functioning and we lost that everything is actually connected and we lost the connection with health as uh, an aspect of our spiritual well-being of our psychological well-being and um, you know it was then seen as unscientific yes Uh, and now it's interesting that this is shifting again that through so much research in this field, we are starting to now prove uh, that okay. this link exists, yes. you know. And so slowly we're making our way back to regional health systems, but in a way that science can validate. Yes, but it doesn't discount the, the medicine field and the degree of medicine. There's obviously still an important role to play in that. Well, of course, um, you know, I mean, if I wanted to have a a heart transplant, I want to go to the very best uh, cardiothoracic surgeon out there. You know, if I was in a car accident, I want the very best doctor. And so, you know, there's a role for Western medicine. But I feel that we have lost the basic foundations of health. Yes. And, And so in order to build the future of medicine, which I believe is a more integrated approach, then we have to go back to the foundation of health and of well-being. You know, we have to reteach ourselves what that means. And so I think in the process of um, Western medicine or this paradigm taking over, it's been disempowering in a way. And not just for the patient, because they've lost the ability to kind of heal themselves, but it's also disempowering for the medical system uh, in a way, um, because it just kind of burdens the medical system more. Yeah. You know, and so I think it becomes a a vicious cycle. And through this whole COVID experience, um, with less people visiting doctors for little ailments, it's been interesting to see the shift now yes. that people are looking for ways to support their well-being 
uh, in a in a simpler simpler and more empowering way. Yeah, maybe it slowed down people's lifestyles so that they can start realizing that I'm actually not well, but I'm not sick, but I'm not well. And how can I become better in that sense? And we're looking at people doing more yoga, more meditation and breath work. Mm. Um, how has COVID-19 affected your, your practice? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I haven't slowed down at all. <laughs> so um, the nature of my practice means that I could move online. Yes. So I do a lot of health coaching and a lot of breath work. And I was able to transition that aspect of my practice online. Yes. And it's just really, um, it doesn't take away from the connection. Uh, I yeah. find that, you know, that connection is still possible. Um, and I've moved a lot of my breathwork sessions and trainings and seminars online. Yeah. And there's just been such a need for it. Yes. You know, so I've been incredibly busy. Oh, that's good news then. Yeah. I want to just backtrack a little bit and ask you about your grandfather because it seems that he's obviously played a important role in your life and your career. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to talk about that relationship and why him specifically was so significant? Yeah, so my grandfather grew up in India and he came to South Africa when he was 14 years old with his father. Okay, cool. And um, yeah, so soon after he came to South Africa, his dad died. And, wow. and so he had to fend for himself and always had dreams of being a doctor. Yes. Um, but that wasn't possible. And he went into business. Um, but he, he was able then to put two of his sons through medical school. Oh, wow. And um, so my father was his eldest son and was in the business with him. And my dad passed away when I was three. And oh, wow. so I grew up in an extended Indian family, traditional family setup. And so when my dad died, my grandfather really stepped in as, as the father, as yes. the, the primary kind of, um, you know, father figure. Yes. And it was really special because uh, we spent so much time together. You know, I, was, I listened to so many of his stories of his childhood in India and yeah. I would spend time with him walking in the garden and he would show me the trees and, you know, uh, we would walk amongst the fruit trees. And um, it was just, you know, I, I spent time painting with him and uh, he was a writer as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, his essence kind of still lives with me in a way. That's very cool. And um, in that process, when do you realize that you want to be a healer and someone that helps people for, for a living? Yeah. I feel in some way that's always been with me. And in fact, it goes back to my grandfather again. Yes. Uh, so when I was 14 years old, he, he got ill and he went into heart failure. Wow. And um, I remember spending a lot of time with him when uh, he was ill and in his last days, you yeah. know, just nursing him, being with him, caring for him and um, just, you know, being with, with him, being present as he was dying was an incredibly profound experience for me. Yes. And I suppose it was my first experience of healing in some way. Yeah. You know, Um and coming from a family of medical doctors, I guess it was my natural path. Yeah. It seems to be. It seems to be one of those fields that has to kind of be something you're born with, similar to being a teacher maybe. 
it's in the family and it's maybe the way it's maybe the house you grow in but it might be something connected to genetics i don't know it could be, could be yeah. you know i yeah. think that <laughs> this is a really interesting question because what makes us who we are yeah you know sometimes we can attribute it to genetics but sometimes it's not something we can even understand yes you know uh, it comes from something beyond yeah uh, the physical realm right maybe. yes yeah how um how how do you get into integrative medicine and being a breathwork practitioner in South Africa, is there pathways that are now solid in the in the research and in the let's say the legal realm? Because um, I just heard your conversation with Dr. Matara outside um, about being able to call yourself a practitioner and things. How do you get into that? So, in terms of integrative medicine, yes. um, when I started to move into this field of more holistic medicine. Integrative medicine was very new concept, certainly in South Africa. Yes. And I really struggled to find a place to train specifically in integrative medicine then. Yes. Um, I couldn't actually. And it's just through my own self-study that I kind of integrated modalities that made sense to me. Yeah. So, you know, trained myself in mind-body medicine. I studied a modality called body talk. Um, you know, I taught myself around basic nutritional um uh, foundational principles yes. and went back to uh, Ayurveda yeah, yeah. And, and just kind of drew in threads of all of those modalities that I felt made sense to me. Yeah. And it was when I came across breathwork that I found this profound and simple technology of, of healing that we all have access to. And uh, it's through my study of the science of breathwork that um, I started to weave it into my practice more and then started an organization called Breathwork Africa. Yes. And I really feel passionate about sharing the art and science of breathing, conscious breathing with as many people as possible because it is such a simple and empowering tool. Yeah. And, you know, the field of breathwork has now exploded. And internationally. Yes. Sure. And so I'm part of an organization called the International Breathwork Foundation and the Global Professional Breath Alliance. And so we're starting to create some standards. Okay, wow. Yeah. So, you know, for mm. breathwork practitioners. Yes. And I think it's really important. And, you know, as much as breathwork is natural and is available to all of us, and there are many practitioners in the field of, of yoga and psychology who use breathing techniques, I feel that it's a field that is is growing and deepening so much that we need to kind of regulate um, what the certification means. Yes. And um, I think this will become even more important. So it's still a little bit of a gray area at the moment in terms of the actual terminology of what to call oneself yeah. when practicing breathwork. But uh, Breathwork Africa, as part of the Global Professional Breath, breath Alliance, is really working to um, create some solid standards. Yeah. Which is important because, I mean, I did a course on Udemy mm -hmm. in breathwork and obviously taught me good foundations uh, for myself personally, but it gives you a certificate that says breathwork practitioner. Wow. And after four weeks of doing once a week a video thing, I would never be able to call myself an expert in that field, but they give you the certificate. And I'm pretty sure there are people out there that then go and call themselves you know, experts in breathwork. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things that standards and ethics have to become central to the practice. Yeah, and and I think it's difficult because we're we're just entering that time now. Yeah. 
you know. Um, and yeah, so that's where we're at. But so, in terms of integrative medicine, yes. I think, you know, uh, there are so many uh, organizations that offer training in integrative okay. medicine specifically, um, and mainly focused on functional medicine. Does, do you have to be a medical doctor to be able to do these courses, or does this give you a whole other qualification as such? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are integrative health coaching courses, but those are coaching courses, mm. you know, and they, they're based on the principles of functional medicine, and that's great. So there are many coaches who are bringing that into their work. Yes. Um, but obviously, um, you know, if, if you're a medical doctor, uh, you can't call yourself an integrative medical doctor unless, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. You've so, done the, the, the courses and the, the, yeah. do you do it at a university or is it private institutions? There are many institutions that offer integrative medicine. Um, I don't know of any universities in South Africa that okay. offers integrative medicine yeah. specifically. Specifically. Yeah. So homeopathy would be the closest to yes. that. Yeah. I've seen a rise in a lot of homeopathic practitioners um, just driving around. You see the boards. And I think 10 years ago, you didn't see so many of that. So. Mm. Um, I want to break down breathwork a little bit because when people hear breathwork, they think, but I breathe naturally. What, you know, how can that help me? Um, but obviously there's a pattern of breathing or many patterns of breathing and then conscious breathing. And I've seen people use breathing and breathwork in sports performance now. Um, you've seen guys like Wim Hof come, come about. Um, I'm going to put, open the floor up to you just to explain what do you mean when you say breathwork? Yeah, that's a great question. And yes, when people say we breathe all the time, they're right, because we do. Yeah. So breathing is one of uh, our autonomic nervous system functions. It's one of the ways in which the body maintains balance and homeostasis. Okay. Yeah. But our automatic breath is also a language. And um, so it reflects our physical state, our emotional state, um, our posture is yes. all reflected in the way that we breathe. So if we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling stressed, then we tend to breathe high up in the chest, for example. Yeah. So our breathing changes to match, to match what we are experiencing. Okay. okay. But when we bring conscious awareness to the breath, then that offers us an opportunity to change the way we think, change the way we feel. So breathing is the only autonomic nervous system function that we are able to consciously override Okay. okay. Yes. So by changing the way we inhale, changing the way we exhale, changing the rate and the rhythm and the volume of our breath, we are able to change our physiological state. And in fact, it's an entry point to shift our entire physiological makeup and function, yes. which is also then linked to our psychology. And um, in really deepening the study of the breath, we can appreciate that uh, changing our breath will impact our psychological state. It will impact uh, our posture and every physiological system from the lymphatic system to the digestive system to the circulatory system. Uh, you know, every function is impacted when we change the way we breathe, which is why it has such wide applications. Yes. So it's used in sports performance. It's used in art performance you know, in singing, yes. uh, it can be applied in the field of psychology. 
of medicine, of energy healing. You know, it's um, it's really so vast and so deep. Yes. And uh, you obviously are very much an expert in this because of your book. And I know you wrote a book before this and you did a book with um, a photographer, I believe, um, which I'll also link to. Um, and in this book specifically, you speak about the energy systems. Can you tell me how, how that works and what does that mean? And then how does that connect to our breath? Yeah. So about eight or nine years ago, I started to see an interesting trend of people experiencing burnout. Yes. And this was showing up in physical symptoms, emotional symptoms. Um, and I realized that a lot of the niggles that I was seeing, people coming in with irritable bowel syndrome, insomnia, or chronic headaches, was part of people being in what we call this sympathetic overdrive. Yes. This fight flight mode being overstimulated and being locked into this adrenalized energy mode, yes. which we can sustain for a while, but we reach a tipping point where the body is unable to maintain this adrenalized energy. Okay. And we start to deplete our energy resources. And that's when we dip into a state of burnout, where we feel more tired than wired. And so I created the system called the Energy Zone Map, which is a, an awareness tool to get people to understand whether they are in danger of burnout, are they, you know, are yes. they in this um, this phase of adrenalized energy, which is the precursor to actual burnout, or whether they are in burnout zone. So it looks at the physical and um, behavioral kind of symptoms, which yes. will point to which zone they're in. And okay. then how to take responsibility for the, how to support their system back to a set of balance. Yeah. And it is really about, you know, activating these recovery loops again. So this conscious activation of the parasympathetic mode that allows the body to start to heal itself. So we're not okay. building this inflammation in the system. Yeah. And so that's really what the book is based on. And also how to support our energy, okay, um, and prevent burnout by supporting body's intelligence, mind's intelligence, and heart's intelligence. So when we looked at body's intelligence, it was about really looking at the foundation of our physical health. So that is, you know, eating the food that loves us back, yeah. you know. Um, it's looking at how to move in a conscious way because I saw a lot of people who were exercising when they were already burnt out and exacerbating the burnout. Right. Yes. So, you know, um, endurance runners and people who just over-exercise and it just kind of uh, takes them down that rabbit hole and that that slippery slope to burnout. Yes. So burnout is is not just a mental thing from the stress that you go through every day. It could be a physical reason for it. As yeah. Well. You know, I think this is how I started to see it, that from a psychological perspective, there's a there's a definite kind of uh, way that burnout is seen. It's in from a psychological point of view, yes. you know, and it's the World Health Organization looks at it in terms of a work related burnout. But yes. one cannot separate uh, what we experience emotionally and what we're experiencing physically. And so 
psychologists were looking at burnout in terms of psychological symptoms, uh, medical doctors and homeopaths uh, looking at burnout in terms of adrenal fatigue. Yes. But actually, if we look at it together, we can see that it's the same thing that's happening. Yes. And it was important for me to put that picture together, to create that holistic picture, you know, that it yeah. is connected. So, so what is adrenal fatigue exactly? But adrenal fatigue is when the adrenals are not able to cope with the demands of stress hormones any longer. So okay. when we have an acute stress response, the adrenal glands that sit on top of the kidneys release two hormones. The fast track is adrenaline followed by cortisol. Okay. So the body is able to maintain this or the adrenal glands are able to cope with uh, releasing these two hormones from the different parts of the adrenal glands, but there comes a point where the adrenals get exhausted. Yes. So they're, they're not able to cope with the production of cortisol any longer. And that's when we see cortisol levels drop. Yeah. So in the initial phase, it goes up and there's a tipping point where it starts to crash. And that's when we experience the overwhelming fatigue. It's difficult to get out of bed in the morning. You know, uh, there's just like a shutdown of the system. Yeah. And we see chronic illness developing in that stage as well. Also inflammatory markers rising rapidly. Cortisol levels that are too high and too low, which one, where, where do we want them to be? And, and how, do we, okay. how do we measure those? Yeah, so cortisol is not a bad hormone. We need cortisol in, in order to survive. It's part of the body's energy system. Yeah. And there's a natural rhythm of cortisol that is released in the body in a circadian rhythm. So mm. when we wake up in the morning and the sun rises, there's a natural rise of cortisol. It gets us out of bed in the morning as the melatonin levels drop. Okay. Okay. So the receptors in our eyes will uh, pick up the light stimulus and it will drop the melatonin and cortisol will go up. Okay. And then it dips slightly again at about 10 a.m. And that's when we feel a little bit of an energy dip. And that's why, you know, we want a little cup of tea or coffee. Yes. And then we'll see a rise of cortisol again at about midday. And then quite a dip at around 4, 4 p.m. You know, the mid-afternoon slump yes. can also be attributed to this drop in cortisol. And, uh, and then after about 10 at night. Okay. Yeah, a bit of a <laughs> helicopter. Um, 10 p.m., there's, there's quite a significant drop as melatonin goes up yeah. and then we feel sleepy. So yes. that's, that's a natural rhythm of cortisol. When we have an acute stress, okay, then there's a shoot up of, of cortisol. So cortisol and adrenaline kind of shoots up. Yes. And then once we come down to balance again, once we rest or once that acute stress has been kind of dealt with, then the body comes back to normal. And we know when there's a chronic stress response, then there's a constant firing. Um, and then adrenaline cortisol is released in the system more than it should. Yes. And so we get locked into this adrenalized energy mode. What type of illness can, can occur from this uh, adrenalized energy mode? Well, you know, it creates a state of inflammation in the system. Okay. okay. And when the body is inflamed, it can lead to the genes that we've perhaps inherited 
for certain illnesses to be switched on. So yes. we know this now from the science of epigenetics, okay, yeah. that those genes will be expressed when the system is stressed, okay, when the system is inflamed, okay. Yeah. So it will it will exacerbate those it will those diseases will start to become expressed. Okay, what can also happen with the chronic release of adrenaline cortisol is a dampening of the immune system. Okay. Okay. Yes. So we get predisposed to infections. So I mean, it's it creates a whole ripple effect in the yeah. system um, where we're creating the conditions for for disease to thrive essentially. Yeah. Why, why can we sometimes see so many people um, that have chronic, chronic inflammation, chronic bad diet, overweight, maybe they drink a lot and smoke, and they can live till 80 with no disease or no um, diabetes or anything like that. And then some people just one year of maybe falling off the tracks with your diet and your drinking habits, um, and they pick up some sort of illness or disease. Yeah, that's a very complex. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. it's you know, and it's a broad. it's a question. No, I know I don't think it's too broad yeah. at all. I think it's a very important question, and I think it speaks to how multidimensional we are. Okay. Okay. So, firstly, our health is influenced by the genes that we inherit. Yes. Okay, and whether those genes are switched on or switched off. Okay. So we genetically pre disposed but it doesn't mean necessarily that if you have the gene you're going to get sick that's got to be switched on that's really important yes. because we have the ability to switch genes on and switch genes off okay we know this now yes through the science of epigenetics yes okay and so so that's one one layer of influence all right our belief systems so the way that we perceive the world is vitally important in the way illness is expressed or not okay so when we are fear-based for example then we will be triggered by many things in our environment we'll be triggered by our own thoughts yes you know and the body doesn't know the difference between an actual stressor and just what we're thinking about so we may be constantly firing the stress response without even realizing it Okay, yeah. so that's a layer of influence. What we eat, of course, is a layer of influence. Our environment, whether we're exposed to pollutants or not, is another layer of influence. Yeah. You know, whether we feel loved and supported and connected is another layer of influence. So, I mean, all of these factors um, connect and will determine how illness is, is expressed. Yes, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry, are you done with that? points i didn't want to interrupt yeah, yeah. so um where does breath work then fit into this in terms of the healing process yeah absolutely well we work with breathing in a very multi-dimensional way so we work with breath awareness okay so this is simple becoming aware of the fact that we are breathing and when we become aware that we're breathing we can become aware of everything else we can become aware of our thoughts we can become aware of our feelings and emotions we can become aware of what our body is communicating to us so it's a light switch okay yes. so it's an entry point in becoming conscious rather than just going through the motions of life 
Okay. It's the it's a light switch that can go on. So now we're becoming aware. And when we can become aware, then it gives us the opportunity to make a choice. And so then we use breath regulation. And so this is consciously changing the way we breathe in everyday life. Okay. And in the realm of breath regulation, we have breathing that will help us to to energize the system. So energizing techniques, we have balancing techniques, and we have relaxing techniques. Okay. And so this becomes a very helpful toolkit that we can now pick and choose on techniques to help us in our everyday life. When we need to fall asleep, we can use a simple relaxing practice. When we feel overwhelmed, there's a certain technique we can use. When we feel like we have an energy slump and we just need to boost energy, there's a certain practice. We need courage before an exam or before a sports match. There's a certain technique that we can practice. So it becomes a, just a way of um, supporting every aspect of our life. And then we have breathing that is transformative and healing. Okay. Okay. So these are deeper practices. Yes. For example, conscious connected breathing that has its roots in the rebirthing movement and holotropic breathing. Yes. These are breathing techniques that are facilitated by a breathwork practitioner, okay, that will induce a transpersonal state. Sorry, I have to interrupt you to emphasize that point because I've heard of people watching YouTube videos on this type of breathing and then trying to do it at home by themselves. So can we this, just say that again? Yeah. yeah, okay. So these deeper transformative practices are facilitated by a qualified breathwork practitioner who feel who is trained to hold the safe space in order for people to enter this transpersonal state and in, ac allows access into the subconscious where deeply held traumas are held. Yes. Okay. So this is an intensely powerful modality that when is facilitated skillfully can be incredibly life-changing. Yes. I've heard of cases where it could result in, um, what is the word? Outcomes that are similar to maybe taking psychedelic drugs. Um, can you just talk through some of the things that people experience when going through a process like this with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really what people are ready for. There's some people who have a completely blissful experience, um, a life-changing light bulb moment where they're having direct experience of, you know, the essence of who they are. Yes. Uh, some people just, you know, enjoy a deep relaxation. And often, you know, because we are breathing in a way that allows access to the subconscious, whatever is available and ready to come up to the surface might arise. And that could be anything from birth trauma to a childhood experience that was forgotten, or perhaps it's not even a conscious memory. There's just a deep emotional release yes. of a trauma and it could be released as, um, you know, uh, or in the form of laughter or tears, or there's some kind of catharsis, yes. even some kind of, uh, you know, the body moving in, in, in different ways. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a profound and deep therapy. Yeah. 
and um it comes down to trauma maybe i don't know how how grounded this is in the sciences but my belief in it at least is that trauma can really manifest and sit somewhere in the body on a cellular level and um as a physical way of of manifesting do you want to just talk a bit about that and explain that mm. yeah you know i really believe that um and we know that emotion is in the form of energy and it's a powerful form of energy and if you even look at the word emotion it's energy in motion oh yes okay so emotion its natural state is movement it needs to be expressed okay okay so every emotion has a role so fear has the role of protection anger is an intensely energizing emotion that gets us mobilized to take action sadness opens our hearts so that we can feel more connected and have more compassion and empathy okay. so yes. every natural emotion has a powerful role when that emotion is not allowed to be expressed for whatever reason that is or it's an intense emotion that is felt at a particular time that energy of that emotion can get frozen into the system and thomas hubel speaks about this beautifully in terms of trauma being frozen emotion right yeah. and through these healing practices we can start to thaw out that that frozen stuck emotion yes. and open the body so that it can be expressed and and be freed you know and really that's what healing is the, the freed freeing of emotion and and trauma is what it comes down so to so that the body is able to drop into a a state of safety and relaxation yes and that is known scientifically as the parasympathetic state is that correct right Awesome. And so we won't drop into that healing parasympathetic state if we do not perceive safety. Yeah. And I think that's so important especially in our current context, you know, where we're perceiving everything as a threat. Yeah. An invisible threat, you know, um we can't see people's faces. So, you know, we can't read cues around us and you know, we are so hypervigilant around this virus particle that we can't see. So, you know, we are mounting this constant stress response. We're constantly perceiving danger. And what is that doing to our psychological system, to the yes. state of inflammation in the system? You know, so we're seeing chronic sympathetic overdrive and and the physical and psychological manifestations of that. And so our work then in understanding that is to find ways to consciously activate the relaxation response yeah. to find ways to train the relaxation response back into the system and that's where breathing comes in because we know that we can immediately and powerfully and simply do that just with one conscious breath that's or the one of the questions was on covid-19 and how, what it's doing to us but i think you've just ex explained and described that perfectly is is that constant state of stress and fear that we're living in mm -hmm. um coupled with the life stresses that we're dealing with exactly. anyway um, <laughs> we came to this into this uh, from a low base yes yeah yeah um a lot of not a lot, uh, one of my friends said to me it's like when you're driving you at a heightened state of alertness and things and and that's why we have road rage and it seems like the whole world is now driving in bad weather and bad traffic or everyone's alert and 
and, and shouting at each other and yeah. hypervigilant and yeah. things. Yeah. Um, what is the what is your perceived pathway out of the state that we're in at the moment as a collective? Wow. Yeah. I, I think that each and every one of us have a responsibility uh, to find ways to be radically compassionate towards ourselves and each other. Radical compassion. Radical compassion. Radical compassion is what we're needing. That's and just cool. like really understanding that we are all in this, you know, that we have a responsibility to ourselves to connect with ourselves, with each other and with nature. We need yes. to come back to basic principles. You know, the most complex problems require the most simple solutions. And so now is the time just to get back to our basic humanity, our basic connections with each other and the wisdom of our own incredible bodies. Yes. One of the, the doctors I've spoken to recently said to me, radically expand your awareness and i think that ties in very nicely to what you've been saying um and what he does actually is he takes people into to forests for walks oh, and yes. things he's a psychiatrist but he he's treating people on a more holistic basis wow. as well now um i really believe in that nature therapy yes. absolutely yeah. and even just by yourself going on a hike or spending some time in your garden um i think it's very powerful I've been putting up bird feeders all over my garden now and it's amazing to walk out in the morning and just hear them chirping and things. There's definitely a sense of peace that it gives you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one doesn't have to go far. No. You know, yes. one just has to wake up to the fact that nature is all around us and to work in harmony with, with nature again, but also to, to understand that we are part of nature. We are not separate. Yes. You know. Yeah. So this is nature. This, our bodies yeah. is an expression of nature. Yes. We, um, we've been seeing a lot of talk recently on, on plant medicine um, growing in, in even universities in the States doing research on this. Where are you on, on things like psilocybin as a way of treating certain things? Look, I think it, it has a role. I think anything that is safely supporting people to connect with who they are beyond their fear is powerful. Yeah. Uh, but of course, I think that there's a risk of misusing it or uh, kind of using it for recreational purposes. Yes. I think that there's sacred medicine, a plant medicine that is important, that's necessary, it's part of our indigenous culture yes but it's to be used with great respect yeah similar to maybe the breath work to have someone trained absolutely to, to lead you through that process um in terms of of cannabis um how can how can we look at stuff like that cbd and things as a way of not putting all your hope in it but just as a way of using it maybe as you said, in a in a responsible manner, um, to heal things like insomnia or chronic anxiety. Do you think that's something that that should be more integrated into our medicine? Yeah, I think you know, like with anything, 
as long as it's used with awareness, that it's not used as a crutch, that is not used in a way that is disempowering, but is always supporting your body's ability to heal itself. Yes. So, you know, this is not about good or bad. You know, we can use breath work in a way that is harmful. We can use plant medicine in a way that is harmful. We can eat a vegan diet, the most healthy, seemingly healthy diet in a way that is going to cause us harm. You know, yes. so I think it's really about being very conscious and aware of how we're engaging with this and what it's supporting and what it's taking away from. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Oh. There's always a, a case of when when something comes to the fore, then people jump on that train and it's the only thing that works. Similar to diets and diet trends, when, when veganism becomes a trend and people jump on it just for the sake of jumping on it because we want a quick fix right yes okay yeah. our human system is designed to just want to kind of take away pain now yes we want instant gratification we want the quick fix uh solution yes. uh -huh. the magic bullet if you will yeah, yeah and yeah. there is no magic bullet there is no one thing that is going to take away all your ills you know at the end of the day it is dependent on us to be responsible for our thoughts, our feelings, our choices. Yes. You know? Yeah. And th that healing is a journey that requires awareness of all the aspects of who we are. Yes. And unless we're really, really doing that deep emotional work, um, then, you know, even seemingly conscious or healthy practice can be a distraction, yes. can be a form of spiritual bypass. So the work is really about being embodied, you know, and um, kind of coming back down so that we are able to listen to the wisdom of our body and to support the physical body's perfect, de de perfect design. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that again. To really respect the body's perfect design to facilitate the flow of consciousness. Yes. Consciousness um, often being used alongside awareness, um, coming to the fore greatly with things like meditation and yoga, teaching us to be aware of our movement and control our movement and behaviors. Um, how does spirituality fit into that model of conscious healing and conscious awareness? Well, I think it's it's one and the same. You know, for me, spirituality is uh, not an esoteric concept. It's a very grounded practice of awareness of yes. what is. And um, it's a sense of connection to who we are, but who we are in relation to something that is greater than, than us. Yes. And that could be in the form of, of religion or just something that you some belief system that you hold inherently, but also it could be just a, something that you feel, an energy of some sort. Um, for example, if I have to get personal, dealing with my belief systems as a kid, that this is the religion and this is how we do it, and then what I experience as an adult and the conflict between the, the traditional way of teaching you this is how you say your prayer and this is how you eat and whatever it is and then but this is what i actually feel the universe or the mm. connectedness is telling me what to do 
Yeah. You know, I, I think the difference is whether you feel that the something greater is outside of you and disconnected from you or whether you feel that you are part of it, yes. that it resides within you. And for me, that's what spirituality really is, is honoring the fact that this greater is also within us, that we are part of it, yes. rather than something that we are just, you know, yes. handing over to. Yes. Yeah, we have to take our responsibility as being part of whatever it is that we that we thinking of or speaking about rather than saying something else is going to take care of me right yeah is that kind of what you're trying to say yeah which i mean it is that i mean it is the surrender to something but it's at the same time it's about taking responsibility yes. and sometimes we don't take responsibility because we are handing over yeah and i think it's both it's like the inhale and exhale where the inhale is about you know could be seen as taking responsibility and uh, the exhale is just about surrendering then to something that's greater. Yes. And I think it's both. That's a very interesting point. Yeah. I want to just shift gears a little bit. It maybe it ties in, but um, I've seen a lot of people that have very, very severe cases of self-damaging behaviors that they seem to not be able to get out of. They're trying to fix themselves, so they change their diet, they start exercising, but they fail in that process and then they end up going too far after their failure in what is the word they use self self-harming or self-sabotage self self-sabotage that's the one i'm looking for um so that's quite a big problem in terms of people wanting to get better and heal is this case of self-sabotage and a disliking of yourself and maybe a hatred of yourself even how do people learn to start caring for themselves better start loving themselves everyone knows they should when they're sick that they should get better but to put in that work which is sometimes a lot of hard work how do we get people to love themselves more hmm. yeah it's an interesting question about loving ourselves and it's something that i've thought about a lot and for me it's not about loving ourselves okay because <laughs> it's an action yes for me, it's about experiencing ourselves as love. Okay. Got to wrap my head around it's okay. that. <laughs> okay. So it's not something that we have to do, like an action. I need to love myself. Uh, this is our natural state is love. Is love. Okay. So we we're talking about that greater, you know, that experience we have when we are in awe, when we are seeing a magnificent sunset or... There's just something about the light that just makes everything look magical. It's like a still point moment. And in that moment, we just feel expanded. Yes. That is having a direct experience of ourselves as, as love, as something that is so magnificent yes. and great. It's a feeling we have when we are looking into the eyes of a newborn. Yeah. That state of being. So love is a state of being which is inherently natural to who we are the rest is just fear the rest is just neural pathways based in fear yes you know neural pathways that have just become ruts in the body mind system and so that's why i love 
breathwork so much that it offers people the opportunity to express or rather to experience themselves as love. Yes. Doesn't mean that it's permanently going to be there now when they come out of the session, not at all. But at least they've had that experience. Yeah. They've had that, that the light bulb has gone on. And now the, the work is to start to create the new neural pathways, love-based neural pathways, and to practice those like learning any new skill, like learning to drive a car, like learning to play the piano. You know, it takes practice. It takes consistency. It takes support. Yes. And it takes daily work. It takes a daily conscious choice to spark up those new neural pathways. Yes. And eventually, you know, we start to live from that place. Eventually, that becomes habitual. And that old neural pathway is still there, but at least we have a new wiring in the body-mind system. Yeah. And so for me, that's, that's what this work is really about. That's all our work is to, to knit up and spark up the new neural pathways of love yes. within us and between us. And I think the positive message in that really is that no matter how old you are or where you have been in life, it's not, you're not destined to that fate of maybe being ill or being sick. The, the whole process of neuroplasticity and neurogenesis shows us that you can rewire your brain and you can switch off and on your genes as epigenetics showed us. Um, so the, the purpose and the goal of the podcast is to show people that it's never too late. You know, you can, you can find help and you can change. Um, which is the beauty of, of maybe our bodies and our, our minds. And the human being is that we have this capacity. Yes. It's so beautiful. It is indeed. What type of um, breathwork practices would you... So, so let's say I've come in and I've seen you as a client and I'm just an anxious person. What is one basic uh, breath count or breathwork practice that someone can implement themselves on a daily basis just to deal with some anxiety? The first thing we do is we rewire, we re retrain the diaphragm. Okay. Okay. So when we in this adrenalized state, the diaphragm, which is our main breathing muscle, gets locked. Okay. As we use the neck and the shoulder muscles to breathe, to these breathe. accessory muscles. So the first thing is not really about the technique. It's waking up the diaphragm again. Once we wake up the diaphragm, then the body knows how to breathe. Yes, we can use techniques yes. to support that, but the basis, the foundation of healthy principles, yes. they're just a few. Work with the diaphragm, you know, to get that flexible again. Yes. Learn to breathe through your nose in everyday life. 50% yes. of people are chronic mouth breathers. Wow. Okay. And that has a whole ripple effect on how we experience our health. Yes. And this is just research that is recently coming out. It's fascinating. Um, and I encourage everyone who's interested in this to read a book that's recently published called Breath. Okay. It's the Breath. new science of a lost art yes. by James Nestor. Yes. It's, it's really fascinating. And in reading this, one can also appreciate the importance of learning to breathe through our noses again, which is the design this is how we naturally designed yeah. to breathe through our nose in everyday life of course there are certain practices that involve breathing through the mouth but that's very specific and that's all to serve 
really breathing through the nose in everyday life. So it's about really waking up our breath intelligence. Yes. So okay. I've also create, co-created this framework of understanding the parameters of healthy breathing called BQ, Parameters in Breath Intelligence. B okay, BQ for the intelligence. Breath intelligence. Yes, awesome. Yes. Um, so as you were speaking, I was trying to focus on my, my diaphragm. Um, I've recently spoken to a lady who works with um, with women as a biokineticist, and she uses breathwork to engage with the pelvic floor. Yes. Um, I'm asking this question specifically because she knows you well, and I think she admires you a bit. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> maybe you can speak on, on that in terms of, because um, I don't really understand that, so I don't know how to phrase my question. Okay. But she was very interested in the pelvic floor and, and breathwork as a way of Yes. Reconnecting. Can you so maybe... here's another fascinating thing about the breath, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and so when we look at the diaphragm, which is the main breathing muscle, it's a dome-shaped muscle, and it's quite three-dimensional. Okay. Right? And inspiration actually begins with the contraction of the diaphragm as it flattens and the belly moves out, and this creates an expansion of the lungs. That's an inhalation, okay? Okay. But the diaphragm is also connected to our connective tissue called the fascia. Okay. Okay. So fascia is like if so if you're a meat eater and you'll know it's like the white fiber that you mm. see between the muscle fibers. It connects the entire It connects everything system. to everything. Okay. okay. And we have various fascial lines. Mm. And so if you really look at the way the fascial lines are organized, we'll see that the soles of the feet are directly connected to the tongue, for example, that the fascial lines that connect the shoulder to the hip. Okay, so we have back fascial lines, uh, frontal lines, back lines, and the diaphragm is intricately connected to all these fascial lines. So when we, when we breathe and the diaphragm moves, we are impacting the movement of all our muscles okay. and all our organs. Okay. So the organs of our digestive system, the organs of our reproductive system is all working together. <laughs> you know, so the psoas muscle, which is a major muscle group that is often tight in many of us that sit at the desk all day or we're cycling a lot, the psoas muscle gets tight. That's the hip flexor. That's right. Um, so when the psoas muscle tightens, it's going to pull on the diaphragm and immobilize the diaphragm. Okay. And when the diaphragm is immobilized, what, me what that means is that we're going to use the smaller muscles of the neck and shoulders to breathe, which means that the brain is getting a message that we're anxious. Okay. Wow, yeah. Just okay. because of the, the tight psoas muscles. So we can the see the, the, the chain. Yes. The wow. chain reaction that's happening. And so if you have tight psoas muscles, you're going to be predisposed to anxiety. If you chronically yeah. breathe through your mouth without realizing it, you're going to be prone to anxiety. Yes. Wow. So, I so, mean, as a, as a psychologist dealing with a patient with anxiety, we really can no longer look at it as just something that's going wrong in the brain. There could be, it could be gut-related, which we could touch on. It could be this-related. So <laughs> the importance of holistic ways of looking at things yeah. is very important. Absolutely. Paramount. And and the breath is an entry point. Yes. You know. Um, and once again, we're not offering a panacea for every ill, but it is an entry point. Yes. You know, 
And as I said, when we're breathing optimally, we're going to give the digestive system the best opportunity to rebalance itself. We're giving our brain the best opportunity to access the higher cognitive abilities and our ability to connect and have empathy. You know, yes. we are dampening the activity of that stress response triggered by the amygdala, which is the panic button of the brain. Yes. Okay? And we're increasing the connections between our higher functioning and our limbic brain so that we are able to regulate, self-regulate more. And we are able to build our capacity for intensity yes. and hold a wider range of emotional, energetic and, emo and mental experiences without tipping over into overwhelm and, and panic and without numbing out or disconnecting. Wow. That, what you just said, I'm going to make a clip of that <laughs> as a way to market this uh, episode because I think after listening to that a few times to grasp what you've just said, it's pretty profound. Um, just to touch on, on the nutritional side of things and, and our gut health, gut microbiome, I don't know how much you work in this field, but I'm pretty sure you have good knowledge on it. So um, why is that important? Can you explain why looking after our gut health and our microbiome and our gut is so important? Yeah, well, we know that the gut is another brain. You know, there's a rich neural network, okay, and um, that the gut microbiome plays a very important role as part of the gut's intelligence. And we're only starting to understand now the role of the gut microbiome in mental health. Yes. And we know that our gut microbiome, which is the natural balance of healthy bacteria, is so disrupted because of the kinds of food that we eat that is grown in um, an environment that is so rich in pesticides and um, you know, we yeah. we'll go, we won't go into that whole story, but we know. Yeah, it's a whole other episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the point is that um, we all have disrupted gut microbiomes. And, you know, especially now with all the overuse of sanitizers. Yes. You know, I really worry about so, the impact on, on the gut microbiome. Yes. So I think, you know, it's about, uh, once again, going back to basic principles, um, taking probiotic if we need to. But, but ideally, we want to go back to eating food that is grown organically yes. as much as possible. Um, you know, eating food that is naturally fermented. Yes. You know, natural ways of living and eating. We're just we going back to our roots again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's that's just you know kind of the basic overview. Yes. I kind of stumbled across that because my uh, fiance had had some health issues related to um, autoimmune things, and just by her changing the way she eats and approaches life caused me to and when when i did it my severe cases of anxiety started to to disappear and and bouts of just mentally being not where i want to be uh just simply from going organic and as many things as we can which is a difficult thing to do and i think people almost give up because of the convenience of just going to any store and buying your food and also that just understanding how what organic really is and where mm. to find things that are really organic. Mm. Um, I mean, some supermarkets claim to have organic things that aren't organic. So mm. um, 
How, how do you do it? I'm sure you follow that type of lifestyle. How do you ensure that everything you take in is organic? Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> succeed at that at all. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> but it's something that I constantly try and work towards. Yes. You know, um, so I, I'm trying really hard to grow my own vegetables and herbs oh, awesome. and with, with varying success. You know, it's hard work. Yes. But it's so gratifying. Um, and it's just beautiful to to be part of the process of growing something and then just picking it and eating it immediately. Yes. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think we're going back to that. You know, yeah. I have a dream of um, of us having communal gardens and community gardens. And in many ways, it's happening. You know, that trend is growing. And... You know, there's always this idea that eating organically is expensive, but I don't think it has to be that way. No. Uh, I, I think if we, we start to reimagine the way we grow food and we work as communities, I think that this is the way forward, you know? Yeah. So what is your, what is your personal diet look like? Not, I think we all obviously change it and, as we go along, but your ideal way of eating, are you... Yeah. Are you a vegan or a vegetarian or just So a I'm mainly vegetarian. I do eat seafood. Okay. Um I don't eat red meat at all. Yeah. Um just because I don't enjoy it. Because I mean I really think that it's about basic principles. We're all unique. Yes. We all have our own kind of tradition, way that we grew up, um, genetic predisposition yes. and food that works for us. So I think the basic principle is you know, to have a Mediterranean-based diet, yes. okay, of whole grains, um, lots of fruit and vegetables, um, very limited red meat, okay, to have healthy fats and oils, yes. uh, to eat seasonally, to eat locally. Yes. So I love this concept of being a locavore, eating oh, food wow. that is grown in your environment. And yes. studies have shown that the body is able to assimilate the nutrients from food that is grown in your natural environment best. Wow, yeah. Okay. Locavore. It's yeah. a very cool term. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I try and at all costs um, to avoid eating any food that is imported. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and just to eat locally as much as possible, ideally from my own garden. But if that's not possible, uh, food that is grown kind of... Uh, in yeah. my in my environment. environment so i do my shopping at the local fruit and veg uh rather than a chain yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i suppose it's one step closer yeah it's also one of those things that you don't realize the benefits until you've you've changed i mean a lot of people would would just shop at a local chain and and feel they're quite fine you know they may feel healthy they're not overweight they're not mentally struggling but once you make the change and you start becoming aware and conscious about it then you realize the amount of energy and abundance that your life can can have absolutely you know, just through the food you yeah. eat and you know when the system is out of balance we tend to crave food that will exacerbate the imbalance yes and as we move towards balance we naturally crave the food that is going to support balance i found that so if i mean if i go through periods where I'm just craving chocolates for some reason yeah. and, or craving carbs and whatever. And then there's times where I can go months without even thinking about it. Would you? Yeah. And I have been able to kind of point towards it being when 
things in my life are in order and when things in my life are a bit chaotic. Um, so would you say that's basically oh, yes. what it's come down to? Absolutely. You know, through this whole um, lockdown experience, I've been pretty kind of stable emotionally. Well, I, so I thought. <laughs> yes. Uh, until I realized that I started developing this weird craving for condensed milk. Interesting. Like I would just buy condensed milk yeah because i mean i had a taste of it somewhere and it, it like stuck with me and i just craved this condensed milk and i would like go past the fridge and just like take a spoon of condensed milk like a drug yeah because that was the effect i was it was like a shot of cocaine maybe yeah, i don't have yeah. ever had cocaine but like, <laughs> <laughs> it felt like just like a little stronger than condensed milk <laughs> It was just my form. Yeah. And so yeah, I've started to become aware now when I have the craving for condensed milk. What's going on? I'm tired yeah. or I'm suppressing an emotion or I need more rest or something's going on. Yes. And so that's been my little kind of cue. Cue, yes. <laughs> you know? And it's important to have cues to know when you are maybe not paying attention to something in your right. life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I still a, have the condensed milk though, oh, every now and again. We're also human, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, my, mine is definitely chocolate. Mm. Um, when I when I start buying chocolates for no reason, then I think yeah. something's up. Something's right. up. Yeah. Time to pay attention. Yeah. Uh, just to, to get on to sleep and the importance of sleep and maybe the role cortisol we've touched on that plays in sleep. Um, you've touched on melatonin. Uh, which I think is released in the pineal gland, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. Um, do you want to talk about that and why that is so important? Uh, these are blue light blocking glasses um, in order to l limit, you know, the artificial light and things. And it's helped me greatly. So do you want to touch on the science behind that? Uh, I'm not an expert. Not? Yeah, let's cut that part okay. out. Okay. <laughs> but you can speak about sleep and cortisol. Can we go to that? Yes. Part? Okay. Mm. So let me say that rather and then we can okay. <laughs> uh, to touch on sleep, uh, the importance of sleep and the role cortisol and adrenaline plays in keeping us out of sleep. And this thing that they call sleep anxiety that I've recently oh, started yes. reading about it. Yeah. Do you want to maybe talk yeah. about that? I mean, I think, you know, a lot of why we are experiencing um, such a rise in sleep issues is because of the fact that we are in this hypervigilant state. Yeah. And so the body is constantly releasing these stress hormones and we can't switch the brain off. So, it, you know, the brain gets wired. And so we become, you know, addicted to this adrenalized energy and it shifts this whole cortisol cycle out of balance. So earlier I was speaking about how cortisol naturally drops um, when, you know, when we're approaching like 10 p.m., for example. Yes. This doesn't happen. Okay. when we are in this adrenalized state. So we almost have like a surge of adrenaline at that time rather than a dipping. And, and we see that happening quite often, yes. which is also why, um, you know, we are experiencing this issue. And so um, I advise uh, that we start to repattern our circadian rhythm back to its natural state. Yes. And so that we start to prepare the body for sleep, that we can't just go from working on our devices and being on Zoom calls all day to try and fall asleep yeah. because we're still really wired. I know if I'm on a Zoom call and, and try not to do this, but if, for example, I have a, a meeting, online meeting at 8 p.m., it'll be impossible for me to sleep. Yeah. 
okay, because I'm still like, now my brain is switched on. And so it takes a long time to unwind, to, to actually activate like a wind down routine before my body is prepared for sleep. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and so this is something that I, I talk about as part of energy management is having this ritual, this evening ritual of winding down. Okay, and yeah. whatever that means. So that could be a slight, you know, it could be a breathwork practice. It could be some journaling. It could be listening to calming music. Um, I use essential oils these days yes. as, a, you know, lavender and a beautiful essential oils to support the wind down. So it just depends what works for you. But to avoid the the light from the backlight from devices yeah. absolutely because the backlight will activate that um, release of cortisol yes. and will interfere with the production of melatonin melatonin yes the some of the the hardest things to do is to say okay i'm putting off the tv now i'm putting my phone down and i'm going to go lie in bed read a book listen to some calming music people know they should do that but we we just tend to want to stay connected more whatsapps more groups and if yeah. things like improper breathing improper sleep patterns play such a paramount role in our mental well-being our overall well-being and those are things you don't need a doctor to to help you with those are just discipline and you know some choices you make and things um so i really wish that we can co collectively start to pay attention to just just our sleep and just our breath work in, as a way of taking yeah. care of ourselves. It's a starting point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've got one more formal question. Then we go on to some questions I ask everybody. Um, and we, I don't even know if we can speak about this, but I watched a video this morning about the infrared temperature readers that we're using all the time and how the infrared signals pointed at the head interfere with the pineal gland. Wow. Um, I don't know if you, it's new, new, new I'm gonna, I'll show you the video or maybe send it to you so that you can because this guy speaks about how it also interferes with our energy and and also that we we're becoming used to having a gun pointed at our head um, yeah. but the thing that stood out for me was the infrared signals that interfere with the pineal gland and its production of, of That's its hormones and things yeah so that, I was going to ask if you've seen that video and if you can speak on that but maybe I, I should first show yeah. you the video first yeah so um i don't want you just to name your book i'll name your book it's a great read but if you can maybe say which three books you would recommend for people to read on the topics that we've spoken today mm. okay good so i mean my number one favorite at the moment is just because i've just read it yeah it's called is breath the new science of a lost art by james nestor okay and then wow Okay. Ah, um, your body speaks your mind. Speaks your mind. Your body speaks your mind. Okay. Okay. By um, Debbie Shapiro. So, and that's on my shelf. Awesome. Yes. Wow. This is such a difficult question. Now to narrow it down to three. It's so hard. Oh, one. Nick. Yeah. But I, I, I believe that the ones that come out now are the ones you've most recently read and that's stuck with you. So it's a, it's a, I don't prepare you for this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, 
a personal favorite. Well, I mean, I just love the work by Byron Katie. Byron Katie. Yeah. Okay. Um, who are you without your story? You know, and I think belief system work is yeah. so powerful in understanding what actually triggers our personal stress response. Because we all have different triggers. Yes. Uh, and when we can kind of delve into what is our trigger, what is the way that we see ourselves in the world, it's incredibly empowering. Yes. Okay. So Byron? Byron Katie. Katie. Not Kelly. Katie. Okay. I'm going to, I'll link to those so that people can go have a look. Um, so the next one also is going to come as a bit of a, a shock. Is the, What are the five most important things in your life right now? Ah, wow. Yeah, I think I've just become so aware of the joy of my home space and the people who support home being comforting and um, safe. Uh, and so home includes um, my husband and my dog and uh, Dingy and Aggie who um, really take care of us. Yes. And uh, yeah, we are a little family and I just really value that. Um, my friends, my beautiful connections and my community, my, my tribe and, you know, uh, yeah, I just... Uh, yeah, very grateful for, for my friends. Yes. Um, and nature, you know. Yeah. Um, nature is such a source of energy and support and connection for me. And um, my art, painting, is oh, my nice. meditation, one yes. of the forms of my meditation. Yes. And my breath, of course. Of course, yes. And those two often go together, the breath and the meditation and things. Um, if you could speak to a younger version of yourself, what message would you give to her? Ah, uh, not to be such a nerd, not to take life so seriously, Yes, you know, to, um, play more, you know, to be more silly, to be, to be less serious, I guess. Yeah. I think that's yeah. very important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still young, so I can still be silly, but I think some people <laughs> do tend to get caught up in their own life so much that they're extremely serious about it. Yeah. Um, I want to give you opportunity to speak about the organization Breathwork Africa, um, just to tell people what it is and maybe where they can find out more about it. Mm. Yeah, so Breathwork Africa is really a, uh, it's an organization that was created with the aim to bring the tool of breathwork to more people, to make breathwork more accessible, to make conscious breathing more accessible to more yeah. people as a simple and empowering tool for healing and transformation. And so we do this in various ways. So we run one-on-one -on -one sessions. Uh, so we have a group of practitioners that offer one-on-one -on -one sessions. We also run workshops and we offer webinars and training to organizations who want to support uh, their people, their teams yes. um, in, this, in this skill. And we also do practitioner training. Okay. So we run a um, foundation course, a breathwork foundation course, which is over three days. And it's my, just my favorite thing to facilitate because yes. it's just a beautiful three days. 
And we also run advanced practitioner training for people who are specifically interested in becoming breathwork practitioners. Yeah. And so our training is in alignment with the International Breathwork Foundation's guidelines and the Global Professional Breath Alliance. So it complies with the international standards of breathwork training. Awesome. So, yeah, and really our aim is to bring breathwork to rural communities and to schools and to businesses, um, not just in South Africa, but across the continent. Yeah. And where can people find out? Is there a website they can they can go to? Yeah, breathworkafrica.co.za. And um, they can also follow us on Instagram, breathwork underscore Africa. Okay. Dot yeah, and yeah. breathwork underscore, <laughs> not dot. Not okay. dot, yeah. Yeah. Um, you've written this book. Uh, you've written more books on this topic. Um, where can people that want to reach out to you or just find out more about this, besides Breathwork Africa, you personally, where can they reach you and find yes, you? Yes, so through my website, drilamanga.com. Okay. And also you can follow me on Instagram at ilamanga. At ilamanga. E-L-A-M-A-N-G-A. Yes. It's a very nice name. It flows off the tongue. It's <laughs> nice to say. Um, doctor, thank you so much for your time and all your, your wisdom and your knowledge. Um, sorry, before I, I continue with my thanking, you've also started a podcast. Do you want to tell yes. people about that? Yes. Yeah, so that's very exciting. It's yeah. called Threads of Healing. Okay. And um, the idea of this podcast is to bring awareness to what healing means, not just for individual personal healing but also the healing of societies and healing of our broken systems yes. that we are seeing manifested in so many ways in our country and so the idea is to speak to people who are healers in all spheres so artists and activists and storytellers and entrepreneurs yes. we have so many amazing healers that come in all shapes and forms and i really wanted to bring light to these incredible voices that are right here in Southern Africa. Yes. Back to the cradle of humankind. Yes. So I love it. And it's exactly what I'm trying to do with this one is South Africa has so many amazing people. Exactly. We've got to start reaching out and spreading the knowledge. And, and the celebrating wisdom. each other. Yes. Absolutely. That's awesome. So thank you. And I uh, appreciate your time. Um, appreciate what you do for the community and everything. And um, I'm very interested in, in the the course you offer the foundational course um breathwork is something i would like to get better in and more knowledgeable in so i'm going to try and sign up for that whenever Fantastic. the next one is but thank you again for your time i appreciate thank it. you so much nick it was wonderful to talk to you awesome okay. cool we're formally done cool